we're going to be actually talking specifically on salvation. And if you've been with us over the past couple weeks, we've been diving into this idea that God is a God who's defined as one who saves. That Jesus is our Lord and Savior. That God has something, an identifying characteristic about him that he is the God who saves us. And that it's living in that saving grace of who he is that makes us more like Jesus. It's something that draws us closer in our relationship to him. That it's something that, as we said, is the first step. But it's a step that we continue to step out of in our own faith. In fact, it's something so essential to our faith that living in and living out, it actually dictates our life. And so, how many of you know that if you didn't eat, you wouldn't be healthy? Amen? You'd be sad and grumpy. Amen? But you wouldn't be healthy. So think of it of like raising a child. If a child was malnourished or wasn't taken care of by their parents, they weren't raised up, they weren't maybe disciplined as much as we don't like that, but they were also not encouraged that they would come out a certain way or they may come out with certain feelings and fears and anxieties that weren't supposed to be there or certain physical attributes about themselves from the malnourishment. And salvation is the same way that when you don't necessarily live out of the fullness of your salvation, it can make for some weird, wonky, kind of discombobulated, I'm using weird words here because there's no other way to describe it. Salvation is something that's so important and essential to our faith. And I want us to look at Ephesians 2. Paul talks about this specific verse. This is a verse that we've been looking at a couple times through this series where Paul, who is a pastor of a church, he is leading a church, he is teaching them how to grow up in their faith and teaching specifically about salvation. And what he says in verse 8, we're in Ephesians 2, verse 8, this is what he says specifically. He says, for it is by grace, everybody say grace, that you have been saved, say saved, through faith. Say faith with me. You guys are beautiful. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I want you to notice the three key words that I made you all say so beautifully is that saved, grace, and faith. We are talking about salvation. We are talking about what it means to be saved. It's not something that, oh, you're a Christian. Yeah, I've been earned. It's no, it's I've been saved by God. And when you look at grace, if you remember last week, Pastor Hayden was talking a lot about this idea of what grace is. He dove into that grace isn't just necessarily information. It isn't just knowing the right answers. But grace is the very nature of God. When you think about what sort of characteristics make up who you are. If you were talking to a friend of yours and they said, tell me about yourself. What are you like? And you said, well, this is what my personality is like. Did you know that when it comes to God and his personality... That he's one full of grace. And grace isn't just something that is a part of who he is. Grace is Jesus. And so grace isn't as much a doctrine. It isn't just information. But grace is a person in the form of Jesus Christ. In fact, when you guys look at the actual word that makes up grace, it's charis. It sounds like a name. Everybody say charis with me. It is a name. And so... Charis is this idea that it's favor, it's inclined, it's leaning towards them in a sense. That God has this inclination, it's this reaction that he has. And so, if I took my Bible right now and I threw it right at Angie, she wouldn't have caught it. It would have hit her right in the face because she wasn't ready for it. 
But most people would have caught the Bible. Why? Did they have to think about it? No. Because, well, what a hit in the face. But most times when things are tossed, it's a reaction. Everybody say reaction with me. Did you know God has a reaction towards showing you grace in your own life? Can I ask you guys a question? How many of you have ever done something in your life or you heard your parents tell you, you absolutely cannot do this? And you're like, all right, mom and dad, I get it. You're just being overly safe. How many have done that when you're like little and you like take one step in the street and they're like, no, you can't do that. And you're like, you are being overproductive right now. Anybody ever been there? Okay. We used to live in Southern California and we were a blessed family for children because we had a pool. All right. We had a very nice pool out there, but a lot of us, we were like four, five, six years old. I was the youngest one. And so guess what my dad and mom would always tell me anytime I was around the pool, don't run around it. Don't get in the water. I didn't know how to swim. I was four years old. And so they didn't want anything happening. And I can remember being little and being like, oh my gosh, nothing's going to happen. Everything's going to be fine. And one day I'm out there, my dad's cleaning out the pool, things like that. And I'm kind of just sitting there and I'm not a child prodigy or anything by that nature. I'm just staring at the water because I'm like, wow, it's really light blue. I like blue. And so I'm just standing over the pool looking at it. I'm sure my dad thought I was me. So I'm looking and all of a sudden I just don't even realize what's happening. And I just push right in the pool. So I look like, you know, like when penguins dive into water. I kind of look like that as I fall in. And I can remember falling into the water. I can remember the water around me. And not only was I terrified, I just remember thinking in that moment, oops, like I did the one thing that my parents didn't want me to do. And so I'm kind of flailing in the water. First of all, I never really swam in water, so it was just weird. And so all of a sudden, I just see a hand just go whoosh, down in the water, and it just grabs me right here, and it just pulls me by one hand out of it, and it was my dad. He had just reached down, pulled me out of the water, and I was fine, thank the Lord above that he was there. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think that when I fell in the water, my dad was going, I told him, oh my word, you know what, do I rescue him? He's never going to learn. Um, no, literally without even thinking, yes, I made a mistake. Yes, I went against my father's wishes, but literally without a doubt and without hesitation, he saved me. And thankfully for that. But also, I will say this, that that's a picture of what God's love is like, that it's instinctive, that he reaches down. It's an instinct to save us, to protect us. And what the word says actually in Matthew 7 is that if our earthly fathers who are corrupt and sinful know how to show that kind of goodness to us, how much more would your father in heaven be able to show grace, instinct, reaction towards his love towards you as well? Amen? Amen? Amen. But I want you to think about something else, because that's a picture of grace, but it caused a response in me in a couple different ways. And I want you to think about this. One, do you think I ran around the pool the same way after that? Probably not. So that would have been foolish of me to have done that after what had happened. That would have been completely on me. Thank goodness my father was there that time. What if he wasn't there? What if something terrible would have happened in that moment? But I will say it went even beyond that as well. Now when my dad would ask me to do certain things, whether they were around the house, it's dinner time, you need to be here at this time, 
I had a new level of trust that I could display to him. And that was my decision because I know I knew that my dad was asking me to do something for the benefit of me, ultimately, even if it was something I didn't understand or didn't agree with. And that leads to faith. Because ultimately, my dad had shown an act of grace. He had saved me. But it was up to me to respond to that and to change my own behavior, my own response to the things that he asked me to do, which leads us to the debate about faith. Everybody say faith with me. Faith is something that's interchangeable with the word trust or belief, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Hebrews 11.1 says that now faith, everybody say faith one more time. Faith is the assurance. Other words for that are substance, reality, confidence, something you can stand on of the things hoped for. And the conviction of, or my apologies, um, of things hoped for, the conviction, which is proof or persuasion of things unseen. So it's assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things not seen. Faith is many things, but as many of us know, or maybe don't even know, that faith is not just knowledge or information. Okay, to know something about God isn't just information. In fact, the Bible talks about that. In James, it talks about that in different places where it says, you know that there's one God in heaven. And it says, well, even the demons know that. Which is definitely a convicting thing to me, that demons have just as good theology and understanding of information about God as me. Okay? Did you know that there was a time in the Bible where Jesus was preaching during his earthly ministry, and there are people that were arguing about Jesus and who he was. They didn't know for sure who he was. They were trying to figure it out. And the person who is demon-possessed, says, I know who you are. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I don't know about you, but a demon had better information about who Jesus was than the people of the day. So what does that mean? It means information by itself doesn't necessarily save us because you could have all the right answers and yet be standing against God or out of relationship. So it's not just information on its own. But faith is something that is more than that. It's commitment. It's trust, which is why faith is interchangeable with the word trust. Say trust with me. I would go as far as to say that faith isn't just a blind, ignorant, uninformed, magical response to grace. All right. Faith is a conviction that's based on sufficient evidence, such as the scriptures, Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the testimony of a new life. And so the second point is that while it isn't just information by itself faith does include sufficient knowledge and this is what i mean is that if you just say all right well i trust god but i'm going to put no effort into learning about him or his character your faith will not grow whatsoever could you imagine if i was like carissa i love you i'm so thankful you're my wife but i don't want to know anything about you i don't want to spend any time with you how do you think that's going to go not well, all right? You're not going to learn anything. You're not going to be able to build trust. And the thing about knowledge is that when you learn about God and his character, it gives you the opportunity to build trust. That's why I think the Bible is one of the most valuable possessions you could ever hold. You have in your hand the story of God and God revealed revelation of who he is. You have knowledge. You have truth of who God is so that you can put your trust in him. Reading the Bible by itself isn't what brings you closer to Jesus. It's reading and then choosing to trust in the Bible is what brings you closer to Jesus, which leads to what faith 
really is. Faith is a trust of the knowledge and the truth of God. And so you have this beautiful relationship between knowing things about God. I'm learning. I'm proactive. You know, it's funny how often students will come up to me and they're like, I have these doubts about God. I, I don't know what Christianity is in relation to Islam or Mormonism or Judaism. Or my friends at school say God isn't real and I'm not sure. And they said, my faith must really be struggling. You know what I say to them? It's like, no, actually, your face in in the exact right place. You have questions, and you want to dive deep into the truth of who God is so that you can trust him even more. You're in the right place, but you need to go after that knowledge. You need to go dig into that truth so that you can trust in him even more. Faith is so vital to our relationship with God. Hebrews 11.6 would say that without faith, it's impossible to please God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 would go as far as to say that we live by faith, not by sight. That you would trade your own eyes and your own sight for the ability to walk in faith. That it's more important than that. How many of you know that if you woke up blind tomorrow, life would change? Amen? Your sight is very important to you. And yet what the Bible would say is that your faith is more important and not that's what you should be walking by not just the sight that's in front of you faith is the groundwork of relationship it's not necessarily knowledge by itself faith and trust i would say this if you're writing notes write this down faith has the power to grow a relationship or to kill it no matter how much knowledge or experience the relationship has what i mean by that is this is that the way that you relate to people around you, guess what the biggest question people ask? Research has shown this for the last 30 plus years of relationships between people, no matter what the context. Guess what the biggest question is? Rhetorical question. It's this. It's not, it's not this. Can I know more about you? I need to know more about you. It's this. Can I trust you? At the heart of every relationship that you have in your life is this question, can I trust you? And it doesn't matter how much information you might have about something, if you can't trust someone, or you can trust someone, that ultimately, that's the thing that's going to dictate your ability to trust, to work, and to press in. I had a coach my senior year at PSU, um, an incredible coach at that. He was someone who had coached, you know, top players at the University of Georgia. They had won national titles. He um, was someone who played, he played overseas, he played minor league baseball too, he's an incredible athlete, but something that we picked up during our senior year was that we were noticing that he wasn't telling the truth. We noticed that he would say certain things in certain contexts, and then he would say different things. And so that began a lot of disunity on the team. Now that's funny, and I want you to think about that for a minute, because it doesn't matter how incredible of a coach he was. didn't matter how much knowledge he had. We couldn't trust him. The whole relationship was broken right there. Vice versa, if you have a coach, you have a friend, maybe they're not that impressive. How many of you know you're not that impressive in this room? Amen. All right? But if you're trustworthy and you're honest and you're the same person that you are in one context as another, people can rely on you and trust can be built. That's why... Friendships can flourish in that. And that's why oftentimes we'll say um, to people is that you can struggle, but you can't have secrets. You can struggle and be honest about the struggles that you have, but you can't have secrets necessarily. Because secrets can kill. They lies, deceit. Those things are different from just struggling in itself. 
Because struggles aren't necessarily against faith. Secrets lying are. And so, all that to say, faith is a very, very important part of our relationship with God. It's the basis, it's the bedrock, it's the cornerstone of it. Amen? Amen? So with that, back to saved by grace through faith. So I want you to say saved by grace through faith. Come on, let's say it like we can mean it. You guys are way louder than that. Saved by grace through faith. Through faith. Good job. So now you have these two interesting concepts that work perfectly together. So you understand grace and you understand faith. So how does that equal what it means to be saved? This is what it is. And if you're taking notes, please write this down. Grace is God's work for us. Faith is our response to it. Let's say that one more time. God, er, grace is it's God's work for us. It's everything the Lord has done for you. But faith is ultimately our response to it. And you're constantly living in this relationship where grace and faith are working and they're partnering together. But they're not necessarily the same thing. And so a good way to demonstrate it. Where's Hayden? There he is. Hayden, I want you to bring up our wonderful examples. Let's give it up for Hayden. Boy, they really love you. (laughs) So, this is a very simple example. We're probably going to spill some water. We'll see what Hayden can do. So, I just want to give you guys a really simple example. These are candle holders. And so, if you can't read what it says on it, it says faith on it. And what it says on the big jug is it says grace on it. So, this is a picture of how grace and faith work. I want you to imagine that this is God's grace right here, and that the water inside of it is His grace. It's everything that He's done. It's His nature, past things that He's done. It's the present things that He's doing, and it's the future things that He's going to use to cover. So this is grace. Now you have faith. That's here. So go ahead and pour it in. Faith has an ability... Are we ready for this? Keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, let's give it up for Hayden. All right. So faith, and this represents your specific faith in your life and in your heart. This is the thing that contains God's grace. It allows you to hold on to it. And not just necessarily your understanding of grace by itself, but it's the way that you reflect, the way that you understand it, and the way that you show it to other people. Now, if you haven't noticed, they're all different sizes, amen? And that's why, because faith is something that can grow, it's something that can get smaller, it's something that can be extinguished, is what it says in 1 Peter 1. And so the size of your faith and your capacity of faith is reflected in the way that you could hold on to grace. And so God's grace could be this giant kind of jug of water, but if you only have this much faith, this is as much grace as that you're going to understand in his life. You're going to think, well, God doesn't really love me, God doesn't really have stuff in store for me. He doesn't really love me that much. Well, maybe it's because your faith can only hold that much grace. But as you continue to grow, maybe your faith gets a little bit bigger. The more that you grow in trust, the more that you grow in faith, all of a sudden you can hold and understand so much more of God's grace. And it just continues to grow. And so it's, it's by no coincidence that the more that you grow in your faith, the more that you understand God's grace 
and God's love over your life. Can we give it up for Hayden? So, cheers. Um, In that as well, I think that oftentimes we make certain mistakes about faith. We make certain mistakes about understanding salvation, especially with grace and with faith. Um, And I would just say I want to give two examples. The first one is all grace and no faith. If you want to put that up there. This is what it is. It's saying that God has done this amazing work for me. I don't need to do anything. God loves me. God loves me so much. He's done everything for me. You know what? If I sin, it doesn't matter because he's just going to cover me, right? I'm not going to do anything, right? And so that would be like this. It would be like taking this water and just dumping it everywhere on the floor because God could be pouring out his grace, but you have no faith to hold it or to understand it. And so God's grace is basically nothing to you in your understanding of it. Here's a picture of that thinking. Let me show you. I don't want to mortify you or scare you. But everybody see what's on my hand? It's a ring. It's fingers. No, it's a ring. So, um, got married this last year, as many of you know. Carissa gave me this ring. I gave her hers. We love each other so much. All right. But now let me tell you something. What if I said she made a commitment to love me? So what if I just went off and I decided to live my own life? I just completely ignored her cheated on her. All right. Let's say I just did it. And then someone goes, Jeff, what are you doing? You've been dating other women. You haven't been loving her. You haven't been coming home for weeks. You've just been doing whatever you want. You spend all the money. You never talk to her at all. And I go, well, yeah, but see that? See, she loves me, right? How do you think that's going to go? How do you think that relationship's going to go? It's going to end poorly. It's going to end badly. So let me ask you guys something. You think that with God, and you go, well, God's got grace for me. I don't need to do anything. You think that's going to end well too? It's not. Vice versa, the other example of all faith and no grace. And this would be an example of an empty cup that's in front of you right now. And so... This is working to be good enough for God and to make ourselves better. You think that the only way God could ever love you is by increasing your faith. And so you think, I just need to make the jar bigger. I need to get here. But there's nothing being put into it. You're not being filled up at all. That would be like this. That would be like, let's say, for example, I made a mistake. It's like, hey, Carissa, sorry, I know we had a big dinner planned and um, I wasn't able to make it because... Something came up, and she goes, give it to me. And I'm like, okay. And I give her the ring, and she goes, all right, well, once you start behaving yourself, we can be married again. Okay? It's like, hey, babe, I cleaned the kitchen and the dishes. And she's like, here you go. You can wear it today. And I'm like, yes! I'm married to her. Do you think that might be equally as dysfunctional? Absolutely would not be a good idea. But let me ask you something. How many of you think you fall in and out of relationship with God based on your own behavior? How many of you think one day you're going to heaven and then the next you're going to hell? That's dysfunctional. You know, God invited you into relationship, into covenant is what the Bible says. 
this, I love you and I'm committed to you if you're committed to me, no matter what happens. Just be committed to the relationship, be committed to one another. So what you see is that either way with grace poured out and it goes all over, that's not healthy, but an empty cup is just as dysfunctional. But the way that God intends us to live is that he would pour his grace and that our faith would be something to sustain it and to hold it. And here's the thing, guys. The truth of the matter is that God has given us salvation by his grace. And now it's our part. Everybody say, my part. It's your part to respond to him. There's no questioning, guys, anymore of God's love for us. God has loved us by coming down from heaven and dying on the cross. I would ask you, if you wonder about if God loves you or not, that he sent his son to die on the cross and the son was just as willing as the father to die for us, what more do you need for God to prove his love? Imagine talking to one of your friends and you're like, prove to me you love me. And they're like, I died for you. And you're like, okay, what else? You know, there is nothing else beyond that. When it comes to the extent of God's love, it has been done. And so if someone asks you, or maybe you wonder yourself, does God love me? It's like, yeah, it's actually been proven. It's done. It's set. It happened 2,000 years ago. It's, it's money in the bank. All right? God's grace is what it is. In fact, that's why when it says, you have been saved by grace through faith, and then it says, this is not from yourselves. This is a gift of God. God has done it. God has given it to you. And now it's up to you. This is your response. And this is your responsibility of responding to that amazing grace that he has for all of us. I think we can respond in many different ways. And I just want to look at some of the different ways that we can respond together. And the first one is this. This is how you could respond to God's word or God's um, just goodness. And it says you could reject it or you could ignore it. You hear about the grace of God, and either you decide, I don't want that, I don't agree with that, I don't, I don't want anything to do with it, or you could be passive about it, you could just ignore it, just kind of put it on the back burner, and so, I don't believe in this, I can do this alone, doesn't matter. The next one, you could abuse it, just like we talked about, because God has given me unconditional grace, I don't have to do anything, but that leads to the dysfunction that we just talked about, with the pouring out of the water. The next one I think is interesting and where I probably find myself the most. Accept it with conditions. You only accept and trust when you want to. How many of you know that it's easy to trust God only up until you don't want to? Amen? All right, there are some things about God for me that are a lot easier to trust than others. But trust isn't just a preference of your own heart because how is that any different from just believing whatever you want to? Because if you just believe in God whenever you feel like it, that's no different than someone saying, I don't believe in God because I feel like it. Jesus would speak to that and say that you're no different from the rest of the world. And so what happens is you begin to trust God, you begin to grow in faith in the areas that you want to, but maybe in other areas in your life, maybe in your friendships, maybe in the way that you relate to people of the opposite sex and opposite gender, you go, no, God, I don't want anything to do with that because I don't want to. You won't grow in your faith in that same way, and it becomes a hindrance, in a sense. But then the last one is just accepting it, no matter what, out of trust, that you're receiving God's grace and salvation, and that you're responding by placing your faith in Jesus, and that your life gets truly changed with that in your thoughts and your habits and your purpose and your actions. I'm going to call the worship team back up. I want you guys to put away your phones. 
I want you to put away your Bibles. We're just going to respond now. Go ahead and put them under the chair. You don't need it. Finish your notes. I'm going to move my little faith jugs. There's something else, too, that I want to talk about faith that's so important. Maybe you're in here and you want to... How many of you, can I just hear an amen if this is you, want to see God work in your life? Amen. We want to see God work in our lives. But faith is believing that God wants to work in your life just as much as you do. Do you know that? That God wants to be in your life and work through you just as much as you do. And so I want you to understand something, too, about faith and one of the characteristics of it. Trust can only go as far as the person lowest in the relationship is willing to go. So this is what I mean. If I walk up to a stranger on the street and I'm like, hey, buddy, we're going to be the best friends and we're going to do all this stuff. And uh, we're going to go to mod. We're going to go do we're going to eat together. We're going to be the best friends. We're going to be roommates. All right. And the guy goes, uh, no, 911 creeper restraining order. All right. Do you think we're going to become the best of friends? No. You want to know why? Because he doesn't want to be that. And so even though someone could want to be at a point in a relationship and friendship, whatever, if the other person only wants it to be here, then it's going to stay here. It's never going to get here until both of them reach that point. You know, the same thing is true with God, that God isn't going to force you into relationship, but he wants to build a trusting relationship with you. And so maybe God's here saying, I want to take you deeper. I want to go this deep in your faith. I want you to trust me with every part of your life. And you're like, nah, I don't want to. I want to just stay here. Your relationship will stay right here. It's the faith that needs to grow. So I'm going to ask that you guys stand with me and close your eyes. We're just going to respond here in a couple different ways. I want you just to close your eyes right where you're at right now. I don't want you to worry about your neighbors. with eyes closed, I just want you to consider a few things. One, maybe you're here and you recognize that you need Jesus. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you have, but like we talked about, you've been living malnourished. You've been living not out of faith and grace in the way that God intended it. And so this morning, just with eyes closed, I want want us to offer a response. Maybe you're here and you know areas in your faith that you need to trust God in. And this isn't forcing behavior. This is you choosing to respond. Grace has been done. God loves you. God has died for you. And God wants to be a part of your life and your purpose. And you need to accept that. You need to respond to that. Maybe you're someone who just ignores that. Maybe you come to church and you're like, I just want to hang out with friends. That's ignoring it. Because God wants you to live in the fullness and out of that come and so this morning as a response, maybe you're here and you've been abusing it. You say, I can, I can kind of just do whatever I want. That's not how grace was meant to be used. That's false beliefs. Maybe you're here and you're someone who accepts it, but only with conditions. And this morning you need to just accept it for what it is. Whatever that is between you and God, I just want you to give that to him right now. 
Maybe that's something you need to pray about. God, where are areas in my life that I need to trust you in? That areas that I'm not. Sometimes it's hard to know which ones. But God can show you those things. People in your life can show you those things who are believers as well. So Lord, we just pray with all eyes closed. Lord, we accept you. God, we love you. Lord, we accept your grace. And Lord, we respond to your grace with faith. Lord, we understand how much you love us and that everything that you do is out of your grace and out of your love. And so far be it from us to ignore, to believe that you have different intentions. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Everyone said.